This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. But 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and it says, Love not the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Many of you have uh, become aware of the fact that the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. Uh, You know, many Christians were deceived into Christianity. I was. I was told you give your life to Jesus and everything's just going to be fine. Uh, They lied about other things to me as well, you know. The truth of the matter is nobody really prepared me for the battle that it would be to fight a warfare every day against the powers of the enemy. But you soon make that discovery that the Christian life is not a bed of roses, but that we've enrolled and we've been engaged in a very intense struggle. As we look at the text for this morning's message, I want to focus on the world, and in particular, worldliness. The Bible says very clearly that we are not to love the world neither the things that are in the world. That's a pretty direct command. So what does the Bible mean when it talks about worldliness? What do we mean when we talk in terms of a worldly person or a worldly individual? I believe that worldliness is perhaps the the greatest problem that plagues our church today. Not our church only, but the church at large today. Believers who live worldly lives are not effective. They're not effective in their lives, nor are they effective in their testimony or their witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very hard to be positive when you're living negatively. It's very hard to be forceful in belief when you are compromised. Worldliness robs us of spiritual power. It's a tremendous problem in the lives of many believers. I've heard some preachers use a terminology that uh, when they describe certain believers as being worldly Christians. Now, that's really a misnomer, I think, because uh, how can you be a worldly Christian? There was a preacher, his name was Billy Sunday. You might want to look him up. At the turn of the century, he made fun of the term worldly Christian. He said this. He says, to talk about a worldly Christian makes about as much sense as talking about a heavenly devil. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I I, I think that we need to look at this in, in terms of what does worldly mean for the believer? You see, when you see a person who claims to be a Christian who claims to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, and yet their lifestyle rem- kind of resembles the, the world more than it does the life of a believer. 
then you have a reason to question whether or not that person is actually saved or not, whether they've really had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's unfortunate is that there are many who begin in the spirit, but they end up in the flesh. They begin serving God in spirituality, but they end up through what we'll see later, uh, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust for other things. They begin to lose their spirituality and they become what the Bible calls a carnal Christian or in this passage of scripture, someone who is worldly. Now, when we read this passage of scripture, we get a word of exhortation. Now, a word of exhortation is strong advice or it's a, a warning. And in verse 15, it says, uh, this, this word of exhortation, it begins with the commandment, love not the world. That's, that's, not a, that's not a, hey, try not to love the world, try not to get, it says love not the world. And this verb is in the present tense, so you could be translated this way. Stop loving the world. Don't go on loving the world. You see, it's always our tendency to love the world. So the scripture is telling us not to love the world. Don't love the world. Stop loving the world. What does the Bible mean by love not the world? What does that mean? Well, the Greek word there is a word cosmos, which means an order or an arrangement of things. It's interesting to know that we get the word cosmetics from the word cosmos. We're very thankful for cosmetics for some of our women <laughs> as they organize it very nicely, orderly. But cosmos in this case is used as a verb and, and, and in this scripture, it's an arrangement or an order of things in this world that is hostile to God. The cosmos is hostile to God. It's a system of ideas, of activities, and people who are in active rebellion against God. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Psalm 2, verse 1 through 4, describes it this way. It says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. But the Bible says that he that sits in the heavenlies laughs at them and has them in derision. Now, I have to say this, that, you know, sometimes when we understand what's going on in the world today, the world itself, the cosmos, the worldly organizations, the worldly systems, and most of the things you see in the world are beginning to expose themselves as being anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-the Holy One of Israel. They are worldly. And by the very nature of being worldly, they're of this world, they're not of heaven. They're anti-God. And they're people and the rulers of this world are raging. You think they're raging against Christianity or against you and I. They're not. They're raging against God. And they say, let's cast what those Christians, let's cast what truth says asunder. And unfortunately, people are running to and fro, believing almost anything today. I mean, we have false prophets in this city that can do all kinds of weird miracles and people run after them like they're the truth. We have people that will tell you that the Bible you don't need the Bible. You don't need any guideline that God speaks through prophets today. No, God doesn't speak through prophets today. He uses prophets. And there are such things as real prophets. But they never contravene the word of God. God gave us a much more sure word of prophecy called the Bible. 
Unfortunately, we have a lot of people today that don't know the Bible. We've taken the Bible out of our schools. We've taken prayer out of our schools. We do not lead people into truth anymore. And so we have a bunch of ignorant people that are ignorant of God. We have a nation that professes Christianity, but we are far from Christian, as evidenced by everything that's going on around us. And that's a problem even in the church today. You know, we talk about worldliness, well, we talk about the world of sports, or we talk about the world of politics, or the world of work. They all mean the things that revolve around that particular subject. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, a system or organization of things that are worldly. The Bible talks about the world as a system of things organized that are even actively hostile against God. And I want you to know something, that many of you are caught up in the world and the worldly system. We know people that have, I know people, I should say, that have greater knowledge of every player on a sports team than they do of the scriptures. See, there's a worldly system, and I'm not saying it's wrong to watch sport, but I'm telling you it's wrong to be possessed by sport. That system is designed to be a distraction, and that distraction can lead to a man's destruction. I'm not saying it's wrong to be involved in the world of politics, but I'm going to tell you something, that that system is a broken system, and that system leads to corruption. There are very few men that I know that can stand in the office of a Daniel or a Joseph today. Because when they enter into the world of politics, and we've seen it with our own pastors in this city, how many pastors have we seen that have somehow aligned themselves with some kind of political movement or something, and they had a voice at one time, and today they have no voice. Why? Because they got swallowed up by the party. They got swallowed up or they got taken out. Is anybody listening to me? Because this worldly system is a broken system. It's a rebellious system. The Bible talks about the wisdom of this world. It talks about the spirit of this world. And we're also told that this whole world is corrupt. The whole world lies in wickedness, the Bible says. So moving from a definition that uh, we see here in the passage, we, he, gives a, he, he gives a description in verse 15. He says uh, of what this worldly looks about, what it's all about. Many people want the church or they want the pastor to explain worldly things. Or give a list of things that are worldly. And I want you to know I won't do that because it's dangerous. And it's dangerous for two reasons. One of the reasons is that if I tried to describe all the things that are worldly, we don't have enough time. It would take all day to describe all the things that could be and might be and are worldly. But there's a more serious reason. If I did give you a list of worldly things, you'd want to argue about that. Because you'd have excuses why it's not worldly for you. And so we'd have an endless argument over splitting hairs over what's worldly, what's not worldly. Because we all have a tendency to rationalize away the things that we don't want to deal with. But there's a much more serious, much more grave issue that scares me a little bit. If I did give you a list of things that I told you that would be worldly, some of you would take that list of things and not do any of them. 
And you'd feel like because you didn't do those things, you were in good shape. Somehow, you've arrived. You see, when you get into that kind of a situation, you're on your way towards becoming a legalistic, pharisaical Christian. Some people want to define what it means to be a Christian on the basis of the things that they don't do. And anybody who does that couldn't possibly be a Christian. You see, there's a whole lot more to being a Christian, of being a believer, than just the do's and don'ts. It's something about the quality of heart. It's something about the quality of character. It's something about the quality of the spirit of the person. I'm always shocked in the church when we have people that were willing to split from fellowship over their belief in a certain doctrine. We have a lot of people that won't fellowship because we have a, I'm a pan-millennialist. Because I won't take a hard stand on Jesus returning and the rapture taking place immediately before tribulation. But I don't necessarily believe that that's not true, but it's not clear in the Bible. There's some people that preach seven raptures. There's all kinds of different theories out there. We don't know. Now, some of you have been fully persuaded. I know you're so much scholars of the Bible that you know for sure that we're all going to get raptured. But because as a church, I won't take that stand. We have people that won't fellowship with us. I'm saying, how about if we just stay open and say there are different positions and be wise instead of splitting, let's build around something more probably more mature in the fact that, hey, we can discuss it, we can even argue about it, but we don't divide over it. Does anybody know anybody like that? Don't, don't, don't look left or right. Don't, don't raise your hand. I call myself a pan-millennialist. It simply means it's all going to pan out in the end. Amen. See, what I want you to understand this morning is that the world is a system of things that organizes itself in rebellion against God. And when a believer loves this world, it causes the believer to love the Father less and less and less. So what worldliness really is, is... Um, and we see it in this passage of scripture and by way of trying to clear it up a little bit in verse 16, he continues with a word of explanation. And we have a threefold description of worldliness and what John says is the world or is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He said it's, these things are not of the father but are of the world. So this threefold pressure that the world exerts on you and I as believers has in the lust of the flesh, which is a physical pressure, the lust of the eyes, which is a mental pressure, and the pride of life, which is a spiritual pressure, it, it, it puts us under undue pressure. The world does that. The lust of the flesh is a sinful desire or a passion that makes its appeal to your fallen nature. There's a certain physical desire. All of us have physical desires that we all have that are normal in life. They're not wrong. There's nothing wrong with physical or uh, uh, desires. It's, what's wrong is when those desires become paramount in our lives. They become very, very important. Take, for example, sexual desire. There's nothing wrong with sexual desire. In fact, God created it, but it's supposed to be 
taken care of in holy matrimony. That's what's hard, okay? The Bible makes it very plain that sex is a gift from God. There's nothing wrong with it. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with the desire for sex. But it becomes a lust of the flesh when you try to fulfill that normal, God-given desire illegitimately, abnormally, or in forbidden ways. And today we live in a very, very sex-filled world. It's very hard to escape sexual desire. We live in a world today that's redefining sex all the time. Not only are we redefining what sex is and how sex is performed and what is and isn't sex, we're defining, redefining sexes. No longer is it male and female, it's Adam and Steve. And it goes further than that. I think there's 63 different genders now. And that's an organized system that is railing against the truth of the Bible, the truth of God. God created man and woman. Anatomy tells you that there are male and female. But when you move from anatomy to sociology to psychology, you can have anything. Except the truth. There's also mental pressure. Mental pressure comes often by the lust of the eyes. Did you know that your eyes can have desires? Did you know that your eyes can have passions? Some people use this terminology. They say, uh, feast your eyes on that. Have you ever heard that expression? Feast your eyes on that. There's something about our eyes. Uh, a lot of what we desire comes through our eyes. Now we live in a very media-saturated world. And we're constantly being bombarded with all kinds of uh, things by, to eat, to partake of, to desire through, through the eye gate. And, 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 and now we're moving into another world altogether called the metaverse. I don't know if you've studied the metaverse. But this is the next big thing is the metaverse. You can actually buy property in the metaverse. It's not real. It, well, it's real, but it's not tangible. It's just out there somewhere. And it's worth a lot of money, they say. And then we have people that, uh, we, 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 there, was a, there was a case of a young boy who was in the metaverse for so long he didn't eat and had malnutrition because he was so caught up in this world that he never stopped. He never came out of that world. He, he lived in that world and his physical body began to suffer. I, I think we have a problem coming in the future. Today we have a lot of mental illness around what we are already doing on these phones. There are some people that can't get away from their phones. Their phones have created a mental illness. They cannot get a, escape a like or a dislike. They are constantly fighting with people. They're constantly battling to keep their image that's not even truthful. They're not even honest about it. I love to ask the question, if I took your Facebook page and put it in church, would you be happy to show everybody? But why do you have that reaction? Do you show everybody anyway? It's just not public in the whole church. Are you a different person on Facebook than you really are? Yes, you are. You lie to yourself so you can lie to others. See, this is a sickness. That's a disease. 
And what we're doing is we're creating lust of the eyes. I don't know about you. I don't use Facebook anymore because it's just got to be ridiculous. And, 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 and it got to be kind of crazy because everywhere you went, you were trying to take a picture of yourself someplace. And you always look like you're having more fun than you really are. And you want everybody else to know, I'm having a great time. When in fact, you're miserable. But if I can get you to think I'm having a good time, well, maybe I could have a good time. So I, I just think that we have to be very, very careful in these days about what we want to uh, portray. The last thing we see is that we get a word of exclamation. And this is something that is suddenly, he says it suddenly. And I can, I can just hear him shifting gears here in verse 17. And he, he, he puts an exclamation, if you want to, you can put an exclamation point behind this verse. Uh, the two things, he, he says two things. And the first is, he says, and the world passes away and the lust thereof. I can just hear him say, you know, he, he gives the first part, the lust of the eyes, lust of the And he says, but the world passes away and the lust thereof. I think you should underline that verse in your Bible. If I were you, I'd put a big exclamation point in the margin because the world is passing away and the lust of this world is passing away. The tense of the verb is a present tense. He says the world right now, right now is in the process of passing away. The world is on its way out. I've, 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 I've heard people use certain terminology when they describe the world and, and they describe things about the world. And uh, I don't know how they say it. It's something like they compare what's going on and they say, as sure as this world, as sure as the world. Well, I'll tell you what, if that's the surety that we're basing our lives on, this world, the Bible says, is passing away. This world is unstable in, in its very best. The Bible says this world's going to be rolled up like a scroll and it's going to be no more. This world is fleeting. The things of this world are fleeting. Your life is a very, very short 70 years, 80 years if by reason of health, 120 if you're some kind of great guru, the health guru. But, you know, most of us aren't living past 120 years. And, and, and that's a short period of time in comparison to the eternity that God offers us. So the process and, the, and this world is in the process of passing away. So when you attach your life to the world, you are attaching your life to that which is dying, that which is passing away. John says that none of these things of this world can give you a permanent satisfaction. And I think most people understand that. I mean, most people that live in this world have to go back to the world to try to find something that Never satisfies. It satisfies for a moment. The glitter of it satisfies for the moment. But the lasting effect can never be there because it's passing away. The world always gives its best first and then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. It's a downhill, it's a downward spiral. That's what it is. The pleasures of this world are temporary pleasures. But they're always operating under a law called the law of diminishing returns. The world passes away and the lust thereof. That's why a man is a fool who drives his stake into this world thinking that he's gonna find something eternal. But there's another exclamation point, and in verse 17 he says, he that doeth the will of God 
abideth into the ages. He that doeth the will of God abideth into the ages. You see, if we want to get in on something that's going to last, something that will stick, something that has staying power, we need to make up our mind not to love this world. We need to not be involved in this world. We need to make up our mind that we're going to fall in love with the Heavenly Father. We're going to make our, our mind to fall in love with spiritual things, things that are above and not beneath. You see, the early church fathers had to deal with the world creeping into the church. They, they struggled with this. As a pastor, I struggle with seeing worldliness, not only in the church, in my own life. You know, it's easy to let this worldly stuff creep in. And this battle has been raging throughout the ages, not only in the life of believers, but in the church. And this morning, I want you to listen to some of the warnings of the fathers of the faith that have gone before us. I want each of us to understand that we are in a warfare, a warfare individually, but also as a church. And that warfare is to secure ourselves from the pleasures and the pressures of worldliness. One of the ways that worldliness enters the church is by allowing ourselves to become worldly. When we have worldliness creeping into the church, we weaken the church and the message of Christ to the world. Matthew Henry, one of the great uh, commentaries, says this, the heart of man is narrow and cannot contain both loves. The world draws down the heart from God and so the more the love of the world prevails, the more the love of God dwindles and decays. The spirit of God in true Christians is opposed to the spirit of the world. And I had to look at myself and say, am I opposed to the spirit of the world? Or has my love been drawn down from God into the love of the world? Jude says this. In the early church, Jude had the face of worldliness that crept into the church. And here's what he said in verses 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of a common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He warned. He said, there's going to be people that come into the church. He says, and they're going to bring worldliness in. They're going to bring in a spirit that is not of God, a different Christ, a different spirit, a different gospel. Matthew 13, verse 25, Jesus taught, and he says, but while men slept, the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat and then went his way. How many of you know that the tares and the wheat grow up together? There are tares in the church. There are, there, are, there are both righteous and unrighteous in the church. There are those who are saved and those who profess to be saved, but aren't. They're worldly. Ephesians 4 verse 14 says, that we henceforth no, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cutting craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. Men are crafty. There are men that are out there to deceive us. They're not preaching the gospel. They're out doing something for their own good or their own pockets or their own image, but not the image of Jesus and not the image of the church, not the image of Christ. First, Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 
The King James Bible says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even though there shall be also false prophets and teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many, everybody say many. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Well, I'll tell you what, if I've ever seen this, it's today. We have people that come in and they, in the name of Jesus, they preach all kinds of falsehood. And many people follow them, but it brings into disrepute the name of Jesus Christ. We have Christians today who are Christians in name only, but will not stand for truth in their marketplace, in their lives, in their families, in their marriages. They're deceived is what they are. See, it's very important for us to notice that it's the enemy that uses people. He uses them as decoys. He places these decoys into settings amongst believers and he uses their leavening influence to begin to corrupt the church. I want you to listen to the cries on behalf of the church from some of our great preachers. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says this, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. says this, when the church affects the world, you have revival. When the world affects the church, you have apostasy. G. Campbell Morgan says, when amusement is necessary to get people to listen to the gospel, there will be failure. This is not the method of Christ to form an organization and provide all kinds of entertainment for young people in order that they may come to the Bible classes is a foreboding or a foredoomed to failure. A.W. Tozer. Modern Christians hope to save the world by being like it. But it'll never work. The church's power over the world springs out of her unlikeness to it. Never her integration into it. Again, he says, one compromise here, another there, and soon enough, the so-called Christian and the man in the world look the same. He goes on and says, a whole new generation of Christians has come up believing that it's possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. Again, he says, there is a glorified man on the right hand of majesty in heaven, faithfully representing us there. We are left for a season among men. Let us faithfully represent him here. You see, the Holy Spirit never enters a man and then lets him live like the world. You can be sure of that. I like this guy, Tozer, don't you? Listen to what he says. A church fed on excitement is no New Testament church at all. The desire for surface stimulation is a sure mark of the fallen nature, the very thing Christ died to deliver us from. You know, I'm always shocked when people say, well, you know, I go to church and I, I, I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't suit my fancy. You're not here to have your fancy suited. 
We're here to worship God. We're here to worship the Lord Almighty. We're here to set ourselves aside and he is to be preeminent. We're here to hear the word of God. Even if it is not eloquently preached, and I have never said I was eloquent. He says this, he says, we cannot afford to let down our Christian standards just to hold the interest of people who want to go to hell and still belong to the church. I know, many people have heard the cliche, the end justifies the means. The problem with that philosophy is that the means determine the end. You see, if the goal is to get the whole world to Christ, then what means do we use to accomplish that goal? Do we use the means of the gospel, preaching, sending missionaries and ourselves into the world to preach? the gospel, and to reach the world? Do we use the means of gospel literature, and do we use the means of media to reach the world? Or do we find out what the world likes and decide to imitate that in order to reach them for Christ? Do we use the flesh to make people spiritual? How do you reach a man that loves sin? Do you use sin to reach him? How do you reach a drunkard? Do you become drunk with him? How do you reach a harlot? Do you commit adultery with her to reach her? How do you reach the violent criminal? Do you become a violent criminal yourself to reach him? How do you teach a man that likes sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Do you use sex, drugs, and rock and roll to reach him? Did the people rescuing the survivors from the Titanic jump into the icy waters of the Atlantic with their victims so that they could share some common ground before they pulled them out from their icy demise? Or did they stay dry in the rescue boat so they could do their work? You see, when Christians or the church decide to use worldly means to reach the world, it's headed down a path, and I believe it's a path of no return. At the end of this path, we find that the church did not convert the world, but the, rather the, the world has converted the church. The rescue workers are diving into the icy waters of the North Atlantic, and there's nobody left in the lifeboat. How can we possibly present and represent our holy God when we're using unholy means? Isaiah 6 and verse 3. We hear the prophet Isaiah cry out. He says, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And if you, if you know the context of this verse, it was when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in his train. His glory filled the temple. And, 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 and his response was, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I'm about to die. God is holy. And I'm not. Then he overhears a conversation in heaven. And God is consulting himself. He says, who shall we send for us? And he says, Lord, send me. 
And God does a purifying work in his heart and touches his tongue with a coal from heaven and becomes a, an evangelist. He becomes a, a prophet of God. We all need that touch of God in our lives. We have to understand that, th that there are satanic forces at work today. These forces mean to blur the lines between holy and unholy, clean and unclean, and acceptable and unacceptable. These lines result in the world becoming churchy and the church becoming worldly. And the church becomes just like the lost world that they're trying to save and trying to reach. They lose all credibility and men die in their sins without a true witness for the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When this happens, the goal of Satan is accomplished. And the, the, the satanic deception is simply this. You know, you can't crush the truth because the truth is the truth. So you blur the lines between those who are lost and those who are saved so that the lost think that they're saved. See, this satanic deception is going to be responsible for the damnation of millions of what I call sinner saints. One day they'll stand at a great white throne judgment. How many of you know you can't be half saved and half lost? Many are all lost, but they've been blinded by their own religiosity. And they don't know. I believe that the reason that Zimbabwe is in such bad shape morally is because the church is in such bad shape spiritually. The reason that the church is in such bad shape spiritually is because the church has become worldly. And the reason that the church has become worldly can be attributed to many things. There's lots of excuses out there why we've become worldly. But for sure, we're seeing the creep of the world into the very fabric of the church. It's time for us to awake ourselves. Whenever we try to merge the secular and the sacred, we then prove that there's nothing that is sacred. My son Jonathan sent me this verse this morning and it fit into my message. He says in Jeremiah 15, verses 16 through 21, he says, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and gladness of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Jehovah, the God of hosts. I did not sit in the circle of mockers, nor rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand. For you have filled me in my, with indignation. Why has my pain been without end? Why is my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? You surely are to me like a deceitful brook, waters that cannot be trusted. Therefore, so says Jehovah, if you turn back, then I will bring you again and you shall stand before me. And if you take the precious from the worthless, then you shall be as my mouth. Let them turn back to you, but do not return to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze and they shall fight against you and they shall not overcome you for I am with you to save you and to deliver you says Jehovah and I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and I will redeem you from the hand of the evil ones we have what's called a merger mentality this merger mentality has bled over to nearly every area of the Christian world we have a generation that takes anything 
no matter how immoral, and then put the word Christian on the front of it or on the back of it. And then we declare it sacred. We have Christian beer, Christian nightclubs, Christian pro athletes, Christian rock and roll, Christian rap, Christian yoga. We put anything on it, it's Christian. We've lost the division. We cannot tell where the church begins and where the world ends. The goal of the Great Commission was to bring a holy bride of Christ out of the world. But now we have so much of the world in the church that becoming a, or being a Christian has become almost meaningless. You can't tell the church from the world or the world from the church. At some point, someone needs to draw a line and say, that is not Christianity, that is. We have people that I call, I referred to it earlier, sinner saints. They take almost anything imaginable, swimming, horseback riding, rock and roll, rap music, diets, workout routines, charities, dance routines, you, you, just put anything in there. And they add this word Christian to it. And then what they say is, whatever they're doing is acceptable to the Lord. I saw in America they have a Christian pole dancing class. I thought, what? Really? 2 Corinthians 6 says this. Verses 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what partnership does light have with darkness? And what agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what part does a believer have with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separated, says the Lord, and do not touch the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. We can't have fellowship with the Lord and with the world at the same time. To be truly right with the Lord is to be wrong with the world. We are married to Christ and therefore should not be flirting with another woman. A Babylonian system of the world is another woman. It's the, it's the harlot, the Babylonian harlot. You either love the one or you love the other, but you can't love both. I know this is hard to hear. It's hard to listen to. It's hard for us to apply into our lives. And I know that we live in this world. But God says we're not of this world. James says it this way, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unspotted from this world. First Peter, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but according to the Holy One who has called you, you also become holy in all conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Don't turn off because I'm reading the Bible. The Bible is what's going to set you free. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13 says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate intimately with fornicators. 
yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world for with the co- or with the covetous or the extortioners or with the idolaters, for then you must go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to associate intimately if any man called a brother is either a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such a person, do not eat. For what is it to me to judge those that are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But God judges those who are outside. Therefore, put out from you this evil one. Let me tell you something. We need to start putting some of the evil people out of our church. We have people that are living immoral lives and they think it's okay. They think it's all right. They just come to the, a big church and they think that, oh, it's all right, you know? No, it's immoral. It's wrong. And you're worldly and you're bringing the church down. It's time to blow the whistle sometimes. It's time to repent for others. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in order to prove what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Psalm 119.9. Again, this is in your daily reading today. How can you, young man, keep your way pure? by keeping it according to the Word of God. And this is also the daily reading program, and I'm gonna read out of the Amplified. I'll close with this. In Luke 13, 22, it says, And Jesus journeyed on through cities and villages, teaching and making his way toward Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved from the penalties of the last judgment? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, force aside unbelief and the attractions of sin. For many, I tell you, will try to enter by their own works and will not be able to. Once the head of the house gets up and closes the door and you begin standing outside and knocking on the door again and again, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you and he'll say this, I do not know where you are from, for you are not of my household. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and we drank in your presence. We came to church and we had good praise and worship and you taught in our streets, but he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and sorrow and pain and grinding of teeth in despair and anger. When I preach this kind of a message, I'm not trying to make anybody feel condemned, but I am trying to warn you and I'm trying to warn all of us that there is such deception in the world today. The greatest tool of the enemy is deception. And he said that the sign of the end time would be deception. Now more than ever, you must lay hold of the word of God. You must lay hold of truth. And we must turn to God with our whole hearts. My job is to make an appeal to anyone under my voice not to be worldly, but to be godly in Christ Jesus. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for these that are here today. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for the conviction of sin. I thank you, Father, that you are the one who sends your Spirit to convict of sin, to convict of righteousness, to convict of holiness. Father, we desire to be a holy people. But Father, we have allowed a worldliness to creep into some of our hearts and into this world into the church. Father, we ask today that you would stir us, keep us, 
from this world. Help us to make the choices, to make the decisions, to put aside those weights and those sins that so easily beset us. To take control of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Father, with your grace, we can do this. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.